guys. So first extra to drop into the feed, this is the full-length interview with Microsoft's Chief Accessibility Officer, it's Jenny Leigh-Flurry, talking to our Mark Walker, all about accessibility and leadership within Microsoft. So I'm Jenny Leigh-Flurry, I'm uh, the Chief Accessibility Officer at Microsoft, and uh, we are here in our Paddington offices. Cool. And, and in terms of your background, is, are you an accessibility uh, specialist over many years, or are you a tech person? Are you a... Oh, it's always a good question. Um, yeah, everyone comes into this through different ways. My journey into this is uh, I actually have a music degree. I actually uh, was planning to be a musician. Then I got into IT. I joined Microsoft 15 years ago to work on Hotmail here in London um, and thought Microsoft would be a great company for a person who's deaf because no one would want to talk to me. I thought they'd all email. Um, found that was not the case and I ended up joining the deaf group out of need then I joined the blind group, the mobility group, the autism group out of curiosity or nosiness Um, and I chaired the disability employee resource, I built the employee group at Microsoft and chaired that for 10 years Um, and that really got me into accessibility so yes I'm, I'm very nerdy, I spent 15 years you know, leading technical stuff before I went full time on accessibility but I really got into this through the employee group Mm-hmm. So, um, thinking about uh, leadership and uh, change, those are the two things I particularly want to look at over that time, but obviously in particular, most recently in the role you're in now, um, yeah. are there obvious things that you think have moved the dial, have made it possible, have won the case, have uh, wow. you know, had a particular impact? You know, do you look back and think, oh, I know, it was when that happened. Yeah, you know, I, I, I never think it's one thing. Um, Microsoft's been in the accessibility gig since the 90s. Uh, Sticky Keys was 94, for those uh, that remember or still have that gorgeous pop-up that comes up. Um, I mean, it, it's been going a long time, and that's actually when our employee group started as well. Our first group was in the 90s. Um, blind group, ADD... Uh, Huddle, which is our deaf community, and uh, Parents of Kids with Autism were our first groups. So there was this technical strand, and there was also uh, a people strand, an employee strand. And I would say, you know, clearly in that time, the people community has just gone from strength to strength. Um, I, it's amazing to look at that. Ten years I started our internal conference, uh, the Ability Summit. It'll hit its uh, 10th anniversary next year. I had 20 people in the room 10 years ago, and there were 2,500 at that thing this year. Um, So that's very humbling to see how that's grown. Technology Strand has had, you know, I would never claim that we've been perfect in that complete two decades. Um, We've definitely learned a few tricks. I do think the combination now is working really well because... Uh, when I had the chance to move into this role four years ago, I brought the two together very, very consciously, and some of that's because I was the chair of the ERG. Um, but it was also very much a customer-centric approach to accessibility. How could I really lean into the expertise that we have in the company? You know, we, we have vast expertise. Learn from that, get feedback from that. Um, and then make sure that that actually directs and focuses our efforts on accessibility um, from a more technical and engineering perspective, whether that's digital or physical, right? And both are in the remit. 
So I think our approach right now is, is really if there's any secret sauce that we have, it's that it's, it's very people-focused, um, very customer-focused, um, and very customer-prioritized, um, far more than it ever was. And is, so is part of the success simply winning a case? You know, so you're, you're bringing people along, but obviously yeah. people tend to think you'd have to be persuaded, I guess, to join in. I mean, it's that part of, of, on the one hand, you've got employees with disabilities who maybe have a particular interest in it for their own reason. Yeah. But then there's the unconverted or the uninitiated. You know, we've definitely... I, I, uh, I do remember times where there was a lot of why should we do this or what's the ROI, which is always a terrible place to go. Um, you know, that's a trap, by the way. Get out of it really fast because that's not the promise and potential with accessibility. It's about how you can design for all um, through the lens of disability and create way better innovations. Um, so, you know, I think there's definitely uh, some scenarios where you've been in the why. We're not there now we're just not there at all and it's you know, the, the leadership um, it's phenomenal you know the CEO was actually the sponsor of the ERG before he became uh, CEO that spread uh, the leadership are deeply committed there's no question of why should we do this it's more of a question of how and what and you know the hours that we have in the day and what can we get done in them um, and uh, you know, where, where the people element really and the expertise from people comes in is helping us to make sure that we do the right things in the right order. Um, because there's always far more. There's, accessibility is immature, right? There's, there's so much beauty in it, but it's immature. There is a long way to go. There's some brilliant things out there. Um, you know, stuff that we've done, but stuff in the industry, there's some brilliant things out there. But there's way more ahead of us than there is behind us. So um, it is about making sure that we're going to deliver products, environments, services that are going to help um, and accelerate that. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Well, I think it's an exciting time for technology because it's, it's, because it's more mainstream as well. It's no longer right. one item per person. Yeah. It's essentially making use of something that everybody's potentially got. It's the promise of personalized yeah. versus specialized or something. It's the promise of inclusive design. I mean, that's all it is. If you look at the adaptive controller, the Xbox adaptive controller, that's absolutely the just a beautiful example of inclusive design. Yeah. It, it's when you take a, and I remember that those those guys coming into the hackathon tent, which is my sweet like favorite week of the year. Um, and they came in uh, with a, a charity, um, with a, a veteran um, who had his rig that he, he custom built, but it was dodgy because it was custom built. Um, and, and that is his source of therapy, his source of fun. Um, I mean, to say it mattered would be like the understatement of the year. Um, and our job was really to lean into what he needed to learn from that and to build, and not just the product, but the packaging that went with it. Um, you know, we ditched the plastic clamshell and the blood-sweating, you know, horrible packaging for something that was one ring-finger pull, all because we lent into him. Then another set of NGOs and charities expanded it even further. Uh, special effect here um, as one. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's really the promise. Um, 
And one of the things that we talk about in terms of how AbilityNet uh, can be useful in terms of advocacy is developing empathy. Do you talk about empathy in your work? Because it seems to me that's part of the ingredient that it, it motivates people to think about change. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to build something for customers, you've got to understand customers. If you want to build something that's going to work for everyone, you've got to understand disability, and that means that you've got to lean into, uh, across the spectrum, by the way, of disability, not just what you can see, um, yeah, but a huge amount of focus on what you cannot. Um, so, yes, and I, I've seen that change over the years. Um, I remember the suitcases of empathy kits, yeah. that you'd get with the gloves and the goggles and all that jazz. And, and I think there's a time and place for that. Um, there's also a time and place just to listen to the people with disabilities and get their feedback. Um, I prefer that vehicle. Yes. Um, I, I think, you know, no one can understand my lived, my lived experience of being deaf. Um, it's hard to understand what someone's, you know, lived experiences of, of using a wheelchair or having autism or ADD or whatever it may be, you've got to listen and learn um, and just be curious. Far more listening than talking, I think, is involved in empathy. Do you think that change that you've seen over 10 or 15 years, particularly coming up through the, the, the not the ranks, but you came from within that ERG network, yeah, I did. where that empathy is essentially part of what you're asking for as well as what you're offering. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Has that spread out? Do people, are people, do people understand the need for empathy better now because it came up that way? Or is there a top-down element? Can you bring empathy from the top-down Oh, crikey, no. I mean? you, that's, you can't enforce it, can you? I you haven't can't. thought about that. I think if I, if I chew on it, my gut reaction is it's, it's a grassroots. Mm. And it's when you empower people to speak up and share their, their lived experience, then you're going to get better understanding of it. Um, and so one you know, great example, I think it comes from all over. And I think if you create a culture where you're, you're super curious, um, you know, it's kind of the ask principle that's so important in disability world. Just ask. Um, I definitely learned it from, well, I say stalking, um, which, but really that's what I did. Uh, listening would be the more politically, but I really did stalk the communities um, when I was building the ERG um, so that I could learn, you know, what was, what was my experience compared to someone else's experience? You know, my, my, my deafness, I have a voice. If you are sign and that's your voice, what does that mean? Um, that ethos is definitely, you know, that's not just because of me. I think that just, it's a natural human thing. It, it definitely spreads. You need to do a lot more of it, though. I think as an industry, we need to do more. We did post three articles this week of leaders um, in the company that have been in the company a long time uh, that were disclosing their disability for the first time. And I do think that part of the other job is changing societal lenses on disability so that people feel strong and brave enough to do that, right? Um, so we had uh, a head of our Windows Insider is a person with uh, dyslexia. One of the key engineering leaders in Xbox is legally blind um, and uh, awesome guy in our communications division um, is, has OCD and anxiety um, and mental health. So sharing leadership voice definitely has a part to play because if people see role models 
they are more likely to self-identify um, and get involved and not feel that they have to cover when they walk in the office. Um, so I, I, it's probably both. I guess the top-down thing is also, in, in a cultural sense, giving permission. Um, giving permission for those conversations to take place, creating a space where it has to be included on the agenda. Those sorts of things come from the top-down, don't they? Has that changed since you've been in I think it does change, you know, if you look at decades, it absolutely goes up and down. There's definitely been moments where accessibility has not been prioritised at the level that it should have been in our history. Um, and I would say, again, it's probably a bit of a combination. One, you know, we've got a leadership team that talks about it a lot um, here in the UK, here at, you know, back in Redmond, from CEO down. Um, um, I also have a role to play in that in terms of making sure that um, it's not just something talked about, it's something that's part of managing a business. So I actually have a quarterly conversation with the senior leadership team where we talk through where everything is. Um, we methodically manage and measure accessibility in the same way as you would security or privacy or any other important facet. You, you can't just talk about it and let's have awareness. It's got to be methodically managed. And again, not just the digital, but the physical. Um, and there's work to do across the board, right? We, we've been doing that for a few years, and I think that's delivered a lot of benefit because by really talking about accessibility, again, with legal as the minimum bar, compliance is never the bar, you raise the understanding by it. You know? um, so you, I've watched the conversation mature. Um, over time in a really powerful way really mature and interestingly almost everything you're describing is inward looking to the organisation in a yes. sense isn't it is that the sort of internal advocacy yeah I, I mean, think obviously it, other yeah. people are interested in the outside so you need to speak to them about that because that's their interest right. <laughs> well I think the other aspect is that when you look at this stuff it's not just about how do you listen to your employees it's how do you partner with charities out there how do you work with organisations that know far more than you do um, you know that that's the the partnerships, the strategic partnerships are as important, if not more important, in some ways. But I also think that there is a bit. I mean, we're a company of 140,000, and if we we're, we're going to deliver on our potential and promise to, yeah, you know, we have a mission of empowering every person, every organisation. We do have to get our house in order. Um, now. If we're going to then deliver the technology and the promise on that, um, we can empower millions and billions. You know, there's 900 million people using Windows 10 today. There's 180 million using Office 365. Um, but I also think there's another part that's important, which is whatever you do learn, you've got to share. Um, so we're very hot on taking the risks failing fast where we need to, learning, um, building programs like our autism hiring program or our training portals, you know, whatever it may be. Once we've got to the point of some degree of maturity, getting it written down on paper and getting it out there so other people aren't having to recreate the wheel, because again, this is an industry that we, we all need to speed up. Um, and if I learn something, I, I, I don't want somebody else to have to go through that pain in order to get to the same point. Um, so, yeah, there's a, there's a little bit of how can you accrue to the whole um, that I think is embedded in these types of roles. 
So, do you think it's easier because you're a big organisation or do you think it's easier because you're a tech organisation to bring change? I wonder which of the two is the, is the sort of the, the biggest lever for you, do you think? Uh, well, you lost me at the word easy. Um, I don't think any job in this area is easy today. It's, um, it's, a, very, it's a very hard role. There are people that deeply understand the space. We also know there are people that don't. Um, a holistic job, whether it's looking at a big company like ours or a tech company um, or a, a small company, is to make sure that people are doing the right things in the right way um, and hold people accountable where needed and carrot and stick. And That's not easy. So, you know, in many ways, I, I know that I feel very fortunate to be in a company where... I don't have to battle the why. Um, that's not to say we haven't had to do that. You know, we're, we're in a, a fortunate position where I have this company charter to drive sustainable inclusion of disability and accessibility into the DNA of Microsoft, and I'm completely supported. I know that's, that's a very privileged position that not every company's at. Um, we've worked hard to get there. Um, I could, I could write a book on, on that. I'm sure most people in the room can. Um, and I do think that there's something beautiful about technology in that we can innovate and we can move very fast. When we see something like AI and the potential of that coming through, we can really get our arms around it and go. Um, other industries I see doing that, whether it's banking, um, you know, I just look at the companies that come to some of the conferences and what they're doing. I, I remember Walgreens, which is now part of the Boots Alliance, and what they did with hiring people with intellectual developmental disabilities and autism. And I, I remember that inspiring me many years ago. In fact, I sat at a conference when they won an award for what they were doing, going, okay, <laughs> we're going to go right there. Because um, there was so much embedded in that. Um, so I think we should be motivating and inspiring one another and again just sharing because again if we can make it easier if, we, if I can make the technology easier for people to use if I can speed up how quick it is to make a website accessible if I can get those tools on GitHub and give them away um, if I can document how we hire people um, game on let's get it done you, you mentioned two things that I was going to ask about um, one is carrot and stick and the other is AI and ethics. So I'm going to start with carrot and stick. If yeah, you don't yeah. get to ethics, then it's not like anyone else is talking about it. <laughs> it's not important at all. <laughs> the, um, I wondered just your take on change um, from the point of view of whether the legal carrot, the legal stick, um, is uh, something that um, is more important than the carrot. How the two work out. I was struck. Um, when I was in California, about how much that legal um, change that you know is going on in the states compared to the UK. I do believe that if you're going to create a culture of accessibility, you can't have just stick and you can't have just carrot. Um, you have to have operational diligence, which is really the stick. Um, uh, you know, maybe to frame that a little bit, um, how we think about it, there are policies all around the world, and they're ebbing and flowing. Um, and different pressure points that come from that um, and the bar is constantly being raised as it should be 
because technology is moving faster than the law in some ways can keep up with. Um, you know, the law moves slow in some areas. Um, I would love to, you know, see where we are in 20 years from now. I think it will be a very different space. So we should always expect that law to be the minimum bar that we go after, but not the goal. And that's a really important thing. Um, so what we do is we amalgamate all of the legal um, environment into one policy for every part of Microsoft. Um, and that is what every person has to deliver on as a minimum bar. Um, and so my stick, if you like, is making sure that that is delivered on. Um, and there's a lot of rigor behind that. There's also a lot of expertise and processes and systems behind it. Uh, because if you just look at um, every single part of our product, we're launching Windows twice a year, Office every month. Um, you know, there's other parts of the company that are releasing three times a day. Um, that's not easy. We've had to build an entire testing environment uh, we had to work with Homeland Security to really build our trusted tester uh, process, train up some of our biggest call centers and environments, testing environments in the world to cross-train them into accessibility to achieve the scale that we needed. I mean, I don't want to understate that's huge and a massive investment, but it's really important to give trust. And I want customers to trust that when they get a Microsoft product, they're going to be able to use it. Um, don't claim perfection though, right? There's a lot more to do. The carrot, I think, is important so you bring more people to the party. It kind of motivates, it, it inspires, it also illuminates and accelerates what's possible. So hackathons for us are an incredible carrot. Yeah, I got 140,000 nerds, regardless of role, that love bright, shiny objects. They're all slightly magpie-ish. So you give them, you know, a forum like a hackathon. Um, well, this summer I had uh, 1,900 people hacking on disability um, projects. What? Um, now, not all of those are going to reach seeing AI or adaptive controller or um, any of the projects that have kind of... In fact, the winner this year was uh, an epilepsy project. Um, another one about, you know, oh my gosh. However, everyone comes to that party because they want to build something that is connected to human, that can have, uh, you know, it can have an impact. Um, they may come with zero knowledge. They walk out with some. Uh, some of them walk out with experts. Some of them walk out with the basics of etiquette and um, how to go back and fix their HTML code. So. Whatever they walk away with, that's a plus for me. Right? So you have to have both. They then take that back into their day jobs, and then when I hit them up for, okay, where are you at? Um, they're like, oh, I know what that is. I know that it's not something that's a tax. It's not something that's a problem. It's something I should be doing. I don't get people fighting me on it, um, and they get it done. Um, now, perfect utopia of clearly I would have nothing in my inbox and no problems to <laughs> attack that's not the case um, I have job security at this point um, but you have to you have to think about this as an ecosystem so you can't have one without the other we we're talking to scope about hierarchy of needs they looked at hierarchy of needs of disabled people and their technology uh, interestingly in the conversation with them we're now looking at hierarchy of needs of digital teams 
um, what are their needs so that you can empathize with them, so you can understand what motivations they have, so that right. you can then work on the change that they need to make in their, their work. And that, I guess that hack does that for you. They're curious and they want to play. It's part of the yes. needs that they have within, within their own sort of professional and personal interests. You're playing with that. You're, you're, you're heart, the other way of putting it is hearts and minds. Yes. Um, in fact, on every table in the Hackathon tent, there was a poster. I posted, I put it on social media, actually. Last year, it was an inaccessible hack is whack um, with some specific bullet points. I think this year is an inaccessible hack is our kryptonite. Um, you know, th- th- there's a brilliant person on my team that, that puts all that together. But it was like, you know, caption your video... Um, don't be a Muppet, you know, here's some really crisp, quick things that you can do to make your hack inclusive. Um, Because you want your hack and your little video, which is one of the things they have to produce, to be seen by everyone. And if you don't don't do it right, how is everyone going to enjoy your content? So, um, yeah, you need a little bit of hearts and minds. So, um, uh, I mentioned it, uh, the AI ethics... The, the bias in, in AI is the particular thing we're going to be looking at actually, yeah. um, the nature of the bias in the data sets um, and also some work that Google is doing to improve the quality of voice recognition by gathering more data from different voices yep. voices from, from different impairments and different reasons particularly looking at disability not just accents um, but it, how does that play out in terms of the work you're doing around uh, AI with, with Microsoft? Um, do, do, you, do you come across projects and programs like that? Yeah, I mean, so it's incredibly and completely important and absolutely an area that we're super invested in. So I've got the AI for Accessibility program, which is our grant program. We're a year in. Um, I've got $25 million, uh, to invest in this space over five years. Um, and it is across the spectrum of disability. Um, speech is a huge area. I mean, we're seeing speech now, he, the parity of natural speech. Um, but we do need to make sure that deaf voice, that impacted voice is carefully um, embedded in that. And it's really just a bell curve. And how do you expand the bell curve on, in, in either way? Um, and so we've seen some amazing projects come through so far. Um, and then we've got deep research areas that we're super invested in as well. But the principle at a high level is, is not different than any other area. Um, it's making sure that you have representation um, to include scenarios that uh, then ensure that you're going to give the appropriate facial recognition, voice recognition and more. Um, so the theory is is not hard at a very high level, but then I can make things way more simplistic than they really are. Um, you know, we, we're working, um, one of my peers leads our AI and fairness um, team, um, and just ha- the, the bar and the policy and the standards for this um, is an evolving space. So for me, it's kind of, I get to get my hands dirty with some of these projects that we're looking at, whether it's captioning, accuracy, uh, with all voices, accents, you know, connected to the uh, to voice, um, I, I do think that there's some beautiful examples of speech pathology that could be really um, accelerated through AI. Seeing AI was clearly a huge kicker for this. It's one of the reasons that we started the program was seeing how that got picked up. Um, 
And I think I think the number, and I'd have to double check it, you know, before you quote me on it. But the number of images that have been captured now is in the multiple hundreds of millions. Um, that's all great, you know, information. The one thing I will say is that the one area that I not worry about, but I want to make sure is carefully managed. It's also the privacy and security of, of disability data as well. Um, you know, I, it's making sure that that's treated ethically, as well as making sure that the integrity of the data um, has the appropriate span, if that makes sense. Uh, so that's a deep area of passion. That occurs to me, I should ask, have you seen any examples of signing using any AI machines that you you thought already went near actually workable. Isn't it? It's, it's something we, this ability that gets sent press releases regularly saying, somebody's just invented a robot-driven sign. Yeah. Someone, so, someone solved communication for the deaf is yeah. the article I get a lot. Um, uh, no. <laughs> but I will say that it, there's a lot of, um, and I'm, I'm not a believer in the gloves, so, but that said, again, with any piece of technology and innovation, you start small and then you grow. Um, we all know the, the gloves in this. In, when you're in the community, you, you understand that the gloves are not really going to help you with communication. That's really gesture. And there is a difference between gesture and sign language, and it's a language. Um, and by the way, BSL is very different to ASL. Um, yes. <laughs> yes, that was a journey. Um, but, I, but again, I do think it's, it's one of those areas where the fidelity of what we can collect has evolved. Uh, the ability of us to understand the algorithms has evolved. The partnerships with the right organizations to really... Um, you know, get into this and explore it as evolved. Um, we're, we're thrilled to partner with organizations like RIT and the NTID, Gallaudet, and, and many others to help us to look into this space. Um, we hosted, uh, you know, a great research forum on sign language uh, back early this year. Um, so, yeah, I do believe it's possible. Um, whereas a couple of years ago, I'd have said, mm, um, that's in, that's in the further distance. It's, it's in the near term now. Interestingly, you also demonstrated the approach, as you said, about that top level thing about ethics, that you go and engage with people in the communities. You, you find right. the people who understand and have a connection to. Yeah. You can actually validate whether or not you've done something. Yeah, and I will say there's some amazing experts in not just deaf culture, but um, really thinking about this in the right technical way so that we could do it ethically and right. Um, and I, there, are, there is caution to be had. Um, sign language um, has become very, very cool. I love that. But we also need to make sure this is done in the right way to protect the language in some ways. <laughs> and um, so last question um, for me. Uh, the, um, I mentioned this uh, uh, very briefly. Um, I think a lot of people in, in TechShare Pro and the people we connect with are looking for how you activate those networks of people around them. Right. So your, your story really has the ERG in the heart of it, I guess. Yeah. You know, bringing people through as, uh, a, 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 interestingly, self-identified dis disabled people, I think, possibly yes. is what you're describing. 
Um, whereas what we're also looking at is accessibility champions, which is a slightly different model, of course. This is going in and raising awareness among people both. in different roles. Mm -hmm. How does that work in your current role in the sense of the sorts of programs that you're operating and connect into the various teams? Yeah, so if I ever just look internally, because clearly there's levels to which we partner with organizations, both within the accessibility world. Um, you know, I, I, I learn from that community every day. Um, and also the disability world, and, and you know, those, they, they merge, but uh, we, those external partnerships are incredibly important. When you think about um, community internal to a company like Microsoft, it's really a couple of levels. One is making sure that you have an empowered employee resource group or BRG, affinity group, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, and, and depending on your size of company, that's going to work in different ways. Ours is one disability group, but it also has verticals of disability type, 20 of them. Most of the new ones being in the invisible category, because 70% of disability is invisible. Um, and also uh, we have regional chapters as well, the UK one being Michael Vermeesh. Um, so that's an ERG. Those are conversations about uh, anything from how do I work well with my manager, how do I, do I self-ID, how do I get an accommodation, um, I want to work on this project, um, you know, I'm struggling with this, best practice sharing, conversations, because you need to work with people um, who've gone through that. You know, again, why recreate the wheel, learn from others, share um, and build that sort of lived experience. ERG is very, very important. We also have an accessibility community in multiple different ways. Um, so I have an accessibility leadership team. So if you just think about my team as kind of a hub and spoke, I sit in the middle. Um, I have a bunch of amazing, crazy experts um, that I'm very lucky to work with. Uh, but more important, uh, not that my team's not important, but more important is how we work with other leaders across the company, all of whom are directly accountable, responsible for accessibility in their division. That's important. Um, I don't create Windows code. I don't build Xbox games. They need to be accountable for the accessibility of their product. Um, so they are the people I look to. Um, and so I have an ALT, I have an accessibility leadership team. As you go beyond that, you've then got people dedicated to accessibility in all of those groups, from marketing, HR, office, whatever it may be. Um, and then you have a champ community on top of that. Um, so it's rings. Um, and we have you know, a, a massive sales field customer community uh, that's all about bringing accessibility into conversations. Um, there is a fantastic engineering community that's very much about, hey, I got this bug, what's that mean? How should I prioritize this one? Um, so you need different communities. Now we're a big company, 140,000, and people are at different levels, so you would expect it to have those kind of concentric circles. If you boiled it down, what you've really got is an empowered people community with disability talking about it, and it ebbs and flows and grows because you can come to disability at any time. Um, and then you've got an accessibility leadership community and champ community, and that's really, those are the two engines that we have. Cool, thank you.